Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, April 14th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Today, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signs a law banning abortions after six weeks. Plus, the medical use of maggots is on the rise. But first, our weekly politics data play. That's today's One Big Thing. A 21-year-old National Guardsman was arrested in connection with leaking classified Pentagon documents. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers are calling for California Senator Dianne Feinstein to resign. And in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis attempts to ban abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. Here to cover all of that and more for our Friday State of Play is Axios' Mike Allen. Good morning, Mike. Happy Friday, now. Mike, yesterday the FBI arrested Jack Teixeira, who they believe is connected with what people have been calling the Discord leaks. What do we know about this whole investigation? This was a military person entrusted with national security secrets. And it seems to have been partly because of selfish motives. The New York Times is reporting that in this Discord, which is a social platform that's popular with gamers, that In these chats, he was both trying to inform, but also to show off to other people in this group, which the Times said was formed by young men who were trying to find fraternity during COVID, and they did it by sharing uh, military memes and sometimes racist material. Mike, we have seen so much information come out with these leaks, classified information on the U.S. spying on allies, on the Russia-Ukraine war. What does this mean for the Biden administration? A, it's embarrassing, and B, it's potentially troublesome. The U.S. has penetrated very deeply into Russian intelligence, but this leak also shows that the U.S. is watching Ukraine. We know that, but to see the specifics of it Uh, Similarly, other allies, including Israel and uh, South Korea. So a lot of intelligence is done with a wink. People know they're being followed. They know they're being watched. But to have it spill out, A, is potentially diplomatically complicating, but Nyla, potentially real-world consequences on the battlefield in Europe. This could help Russia. Back here at home, Mike, Senator Dianne Feinstein is facing a lot of heat on Capitol Hill to resign. She's missed 58 Senate votes since she was diagnosed with shingles in February. What are you hearing about her resignation? Is it likely? Well, what's surprising is that now progressives, including some from California, are saying that it's time uh, after an incredible life of service to pass the torch. And for years, People on Capitol Hill had noticed the decline. Uh, The senator has persevered. Now she's recovering from shingles. She put out a statement acknowledging that the recovery had taken longer than she thought. She took a baby step uh, saying that she would be willing to have someone else fill her shoes on the Judiciary Committee until she returns because her absence in this 50-50 Senate is making it harder for the Biden administration to advance judges. So this is a personal story, a story of huge power in the nation's biggest state and very specific day-to-day consequences in the operation of American government. We we often focus on uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, but it's a reminder in the Senate, every single individual is a huge deal. 
And finally, very, very late last night, really just hours ago, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced he'd signed a law yesterday banning abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. There is a court challenge ahead before this goes into effect. Mike, what stands out to you about DeSantis's actions here? Two things. One, this is uh, something that could help him with Republican primary voters if he runs for president, as everyone expected. He expects he's certainly cranking up uh, the campaign. Uh, but the twist, Nyla, is that, of course, if he were to win the Republican nomination and get to a general election, this would hurt with women swing voters. And you and I have talked about the fact if you're going to pick one group that's going to decide the next president, that could well uh, be it. Now, that's the politics. The real world consequence is Axios is reporting this morning. Florida has been a refuge for people who are seeking abortions in the South. There was a report earlier this week looking across the state. Florida had seen one of the biggest increases in abortions since the Supreme Court rolled back row. And you point out there are court challenges. This will take effect only if the state's current 15-week ban is upheld. The state Supreme Court is looking at that right now. Mike Allen writes Axios's AM newsletter. Thanks, Mike. I'll have the best weekend. After the break, why maggots are playing a growing role in modern medicine. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. In response to the increase in antibiotic-resistant superbugs, the medical use of maggots has become more popular in recent years around the world, including here in the UK. In fact, the number of NHS patients treated with maggots increased by 47% from 2007 to 2019. Here to explain what's behind this is Yamni Nigam, a professor of biomedical science at Swansea University. She specializes in maggot therapy. Hi, Professor Nigam. Hi, thank you. So first of all, I think when people hear maggots, they probably are confused. Can you just explain how this works? So maggot therapy is the clinical use of living tiny little baby stages of a particular fly. Now that fly is called the green bottle fly. It's Lucilia sericata. And the little babies that hatch from the eggs of this fly are known as the medicinal maggots. And it's only that species that we use. We don't, you know, use any old maggot that's been living in a dustbin or on a carcass or anything like that. And what we've discovered is that these tiny tiny little things have got a phenomenal and very effective way of cleaning away chronic wounds. So getting rid of the dead tissue, which is debridement, and disinfecting the wound very, very rapidly within about four days. So they're the maggots that we use for this therapy. In what instance would people use this therapy? So the wound is usually a chronic or hard-to-heal wound. Now, we're talking about things like diabetic foot ulcers or pressure ulcers or venous leg ulcers. Sometimes they can be used on burns victims as well, where a lot of dead tissue needs to be removed before that wound or that burn can go on to heal. It's very much a last resort therapy, unfortunately, after many, many other treatments have been tried unsuccessfully. Of course, this is a very old therapy. Why would you say it's gained a resurgence in use in modern time? 
it was really started off in the 30s in America and Canada. And then, of course, we saw the advent of mass production of antibiotics. So it fell out of favour in sort of the 50s and 60s. But we started to get antibiotic resistance in the 60s. In the late 80s, early 90s, we saw resurrection of maggot therapy, mainly because of the fact that people discovered that their wounds couldn't be treated by antibiotics. And they remembered this therapy, which was a bit of a medieval therapy, if you like, and they went back to it. How do patients react to this? I think patients in general would tend to be more positive because they are usually at their wits end with their wound. They've usually discovered that nothing is helping them. So they're willing to give it a go. But it's very much the public disdain. We have the relatives of patients who say, oh, no, oh, no, you're not having maggots on, are you or or whatever. And that's the kind of psychology that we have to overcome. So how should we as modern citizens look at these ancient remedies? We are obviously, you know, the major global catastrophe of antibiotic resistance. We're on the verge of it. In fact, we're already losing the battle for so, with so many infections that we have nothing against. So it's in our everybody's interest, not just to look back at nature, but we must approach nature with the friendliness that it deserves. It just needs to be a little bit more perhaps respected as a therapy or even given a, a chance, I think. Yamni Nagam is a professor of biomedical science at Swansea University and also runs the website loveamaggot.com. Thanks, Professor Nagam. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this week. Axios Today is produced by Fonda Mwangi, Lydia McMullen-Laird, and Robin Lin. Our senior sound engineer is Alex Sugiyara. Alexandra Boti is our supervising producer. Asia Whitaker-Moore is Axios' executive editor, and Sarah Kehilani-Gu is Axios' editor-in-chief. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Stay safe, enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you back here on Monday.